Mondays with Mosey. Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Josie. And we're Mosey. Welcome to episode two. In our first episode, we spilled our guts and told you about our deepest, darkest fears and phobias. In this episode, we'd like to continue loosely on the theme of fear, but this time we're going to tell you about some weird experiences we've had that we can't quite explain. So, I'm not saying it was ghosts, but it was ghosts. I mean, maybe it was ghosts? Or something else? Anyway, we're not sure. So what you got? Oh, so, back up. Let's go way back in the Wayback Machine to when Josie was five. (laughs) (laughs) When I was five, I lived in a house with my mom. Um, I shared a bedroom with my mom. And um, my brother, Christar, was there. And then we also shared with a mom and a, and a son and their dog Tweedlehoofer my cat fluffy wait think, wait 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 Tweedlehoofer yeah, Tweedlehoofer yes Tweedlehoofer <laughs> chewed off the end of my cat's tail <laughs> different story um and I think Kristar's cat Tigger was there as well did I mention my cat my cat was fluffy okay yeah, that was my cat's so we have fluffy Tigger and Tweedlehoofer Tweedlehoofer <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> anyway not relevant to the story the bedroom that I shared with my mom I swear that five-year-old me was sure that Dracula lived in the closet. So I must have been exposed to the story of Dracula at some level at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, I do remember my brother dressing up as a vampire for Halloween, but I think that was a couple years later. But, you know, I just had the sense that Dracula lived in my closet. Um, at some point later, I made a strong request of the universe to never show me a ghost. So I certainly had a sense. I had um, a strong intuition. I would pick up on things. I've always been very sensitive. In fact, I realized a while back that all of my senses, most of my life had been heightened. And um, I guess the way I experience things is not necessarily on a par with how maybe an average person would experience things. But um, it's difficult to not think of oneself as average, right? We're our own Mm -hmm. default. We're the, we're normal, right? Yeah. Um, But anyway, starting as a small child, I, I put out a very strong, very fervent firm request to the universe not to show me a ghost but i've still on the other hand always been fascinated by any ideas of something paranormal or unexplainable while trying to maintain a healthy skepticism like if there's something that seems weird i'm not just gonna go to it's aliens it's a ghost it's paranormal it's you know i want to know what's the what's the obvious solution what's the obvious explanation and how about you mike what was your childhood feeling of paranormal i've never been much of a believer i tend to have an extremely rational mind i my default position on most phenomena are that there are perfectly uh, explainable scientific reasons for things to happen and i've not religious you know i was raised in a family that went to church but i never never really bought into a lot of that i i like the lessons taught but i don't believe the stories are more than morality plays uh you know slightly based on historical events but otherwise not much there and uh yeah i believe that things that happen in this world are defined by the laws of physics and yeah that's how I've gone about life yeah I guess my my little addendum to that would be that I've always figured that if something is unexplained that it doesn't make sense to say that well that didn't happen what makes more sense to me is that we haven't figured out how to record it or to explain it yet yeah and that at some point in the future science will get it yeah exactly um, there are definitely phenomena that i've heard about that i believe the story but i don't believe the conclusion that's been drawn by many people like sightings of ufos are automatically aliens Mm -hmm. well ufo just means unidentified right right? so it's just something that the witnessing person doesn't know what it is right that's all doesn't mean that they came from Alpha Centauri. Right. When people say, do you believe in UFOs? Yes, I believe there are things that are unidentified that are out there. Yeah. Not everybody knows what it is. Yes. That doesn't make it aliens. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who knows? But 
yeah, I guess I'm just open-minded in general, but I also trust my instincts. My instincts have almost never led me astray so far. I mean, knock on some sort of something. There's some superstition for you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I guess I can start by talking about experiences that I have had that are repeated that um, were similar in different places. So an experience that I have had that I have had multiple times, and honestly, I haven't had this experience in recent years that I can think of. But for a while there, I would feel a very creepy feeling in certain buildings, um, usually houses. And for some reason, I would get that feeling very often in a bathroom. Very often the bathroom was in the back part of a house. And I don't know if consistently it was north facing um, a place that was would normally just by um, natural scientific reasons be cold. But it wasn't just that it was cold. It was that um, I felt like I was being watched. And it wasn't a feeling of being watched like a voyeur. It wasn't someone who's like, ooh, look at this person going to the bathroom. I mean, gross, right? <laughs> or just standing at the sink and washing your hands. But maybe it has something to do with the the fact that there's a mirror there. And, uh, you know, I mean, yeah. we know how mirrors behave with light. Who knows if there's something else reflective going on with a, I mean, a mirrored surface. I don't know. Well, there have long been ideas about there being another world in the mirror, right? Huh. I guess that's not something that I've given any credit to. No, me either. It's, I mean, it is literally just light reflecting, right. but, but psychologically, a mm -hmm. lot of people have kind of developed the idea that the plane of the mirror is a, some kind of a barrier between two worlds. And, you know, the thing that you're seeing reflected back is another existence, another okay. universe or something. Yeah. So. I'm just saying I can see how a mirror might add to a feeling of being watched. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, there's twice the information there. Yeah. You're watching yourself if, if there's a mirror, but okay. So it hasn't always been in a room with a mirror, to be honest, but very often a back bathroom in a house and very often a back bathroom that's adjacent to a back bedroom. And I have often felt similar feelings of being watched in the bedroom that's adjacent to that back bathroom so mm -hmm. um, you know the mirror can be part of it when i'm in that room maybe i feel like i don't want to look into that mirror too long for fear of what might reflect there besides myself and what i expect to reflect mm -hmm. but I, yeah and i don't know if there's a connection to the water that there's water in a bathroom that there are pipes and those types of things i don't know i know that in um, a lot of like ghost hunters types of organizations that'll use equipment to try to track or um, record different data that might be coming from a place. The the EMF thing, that that's been connected mm -hmm. to, I think, electrical wires or something in some places. So yeah. I'm, I'm totally cool with finding out that that feeling is related to a specific thing. But anyway, further, what I've, what I've really felt or experienced in some of these places is this feeling of being watched, but I've also often, I guess I could say received an image in my head and never with my eyes. I mean, I don't know if this is because I specifically requested or almost demanded, don't ever show me a ghost, mm -hmm. but I have certainly received pictures in my head. Now I'm a visual person. I did art as a, a kid um, on my own. I took art classes. I went on to get an art degree and now I teach art in middle school. So full disclosure, I'm a trained visual person, but I've always been very visual. But in many of these situations, I can describe to you the image of who the person was, who I felt was watching me, even though I didn't actually see a reflection in a mirror, I didn't see a, an apparition or anything like that. But in my, in my brain, um, in the visual part of my brain, I did see an image. So uh -huh. there was a house that my dad bought that was in Prunedale here in California in North Monterey County, which is north of Salinas. It's between Salinas and Watsonville and a rural place he was on the top of a little hill and he bought this house. I think it was a four bedroom house. It had been a foreclosure, I believe. There had been, I think, three different families living in the house before they foreclosed. They were, I guess they were tenants. I don't know if they were squatters, but I know my brother um, helped my dad take out tons of trash after he bought the place and there were all kinds of stains on the carpet and such. Mm. And that doesn't mean there's, you know, was a murder or anything um, horrible that happened there. Just it wasn't kept clean. Yeah. 
they did, I don't think they had a professional come and clean the carpets. I think they cleaned them themselves with a rental cleaner that you can get and remove some carpets and replace, but mostly just kept them. Um, so at one point, and this is when I was in college, when my brother was in college, and at one point I lived there with my dad and my stepmom for a year while I went to a couple of different colleges in the middle of getting my undergrad degree. So um, my dad was a community college instructor at our local community college, which meant that he had the summer off. And I wasn't going to school during the summer myself, but I was working in ride operations at the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk and did stay in that home by myself for a while during the summer when my dad and, and Deborah were off on a road trip or wherever they went. So being in that house, I generally never had a an issue with being alone. I'm, I've always been fine with being alone, but I would stay in that house alone um, at night. And a rural place, I didn't know the neighbors, didn't have anyone near me who I could go to, but I wasn't afraid, except <laughs> for being in that back bathroom that was adjacent to the room that I lived in. I did feel like I was being watched and that one was adjacent to the room that I stayed in. And I think the room that I stayed in was a little creepy, but not too bad, but it was down one hallway. And at the end of that hallway was a door to the outdoors with a big glass pane in it. And at night, you know how it gets dark on the outside and you're, the window is going to act like a mirror. Mm -hmm. So I just wouldn't look at it. It was a feeling of, you know, put my hands in front of my face, keep walking, but don't, don't look up that way. Attached to that hallway at the beginning was a carpeted staircase up to my dad's room. And I also felt creeped out walking down that hallway and I would not look up the staircase at night. And I will say what I got in my head was an image of an old man. I can see him in my head kind of vaguely. I can't really give a good description. He does not have a friendly face. He doesn't want anyone there or didn't want anyone there in his house, I guess, was my feeling. But I also did wonder because not long after my dad bought the place, well, he, he got married to my stepmom, Deborah, and immediately after they got married, my dad was diagnosed with cancer and spent a year in that house while he was in treatment. And so he was at home in bed a lot. I've wondered if there's just some energy that's residual from that experience of my dad being there mm -hmm. going through cancer treatment. But I do, the, the image that I get of an old man is not my father. It's, it's somebody else and that feeling of being watched. Now, there was another bedroom. This is a four-bedroom house on the back side of the house, and there was a bathroom adjacent to that. And those ones did not have carpeting. It was hardwood, I believe. And the back bedroom was supposed to be my brother's bedroom, although I don't know that he stayed there much. He never actually lived in the house for any length of time since he was away at college. But that back bedroom was super creepy. I think my dad kept office equipment in there. Um, and the bathroom next to it, again, super creepy. And then right in that same space was a little closet underneath the staircase. So the other side of the staircase. And they kept a mop bucket in there. And it was just, you know... The feeling of open the door, get the thing out, get out of here as quick as you can. It was just yeah. super, super, super creaky. So um, at one point, I do remember Deborah, my stepmom, mentioning just casually in passing that, oh, she had smelled that ghost smell again. That ghost smell? That ghost There's smell. a specific smell. And she said it was, uh, if I remember correctly, cherry pipe tobacco. Oh. Now. Okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. that, that's a, a common one is smelling tobacco. Yeah. Well, this one was specifically cherry pipe tobacco. And nobody in the house while I was there was a uh -huh. pipe smoker of any type. So, Well, I know that's a case in, in a lot of old hotels, too. Mm -hmm. Like, even after the the beginning of the period where smoking generally isn't allowed in most hotel mm -hmm. rooms anymore. Like, particularly in downtown San Jose, at the St. Francis Hotel? Is that what it's called? I don't know. Anyway, it has a room that is definitely a no smoking room has been for decades now mm -hmm. but people regularly report smelling specifically pipe tobacco i don't know if it's flavored but uh -huh. but the smell of pipe tobacco in that room and you know they don't they haven't had people like cheating and breaking the rules right. and having to clean the room recently mm -hmm. or anything it's definitely a remnant of ages past yeah and i mean you wonder to an extent, like, do they have old wallpaper that's holding on to this? But likely... I mean, yeah, it's... but how long could it release 
odors. Right, right. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, but that would be the the rational person's response is, oh, uh-huh. it's you know, it's left over in the in the paint or the wallpaper or such and such. And yeah, but sometimes they're even remodeled right. rooms that right. have things like yeah. this. Yeah. So where does that come from? I know I've heard reports of smelling perfume or mm-hmm. yeah, but yeah. So anyway, that was one one instance. Another instance involving a bedroom next to a bathroom, and I realize this is a common house setup, was a woman I worked with when I was working rides at the boardwalk in Santa Cruz. A friend of mine, she was living in a house in kind of the Live Oak area next to Capitola Live Oak, next to the Capitola Mall. And it was a house that I visited once or twice. And I remember from the outside, it looked modern enough, looked like a, you know, an average tract house. But when you walked in, I think you entered at the kitchen, maybe the kitchen abutted the the living room, and you could just see by the paint colors and the the built-in shelving and things in the kitchen that it was older, you know, maybe from the 30s or 40s. Mm-hmm. So anyway, my friend shared a bedroom in the back of the house, a large bedroom with her boyfriend, and her boyfriend's brother also lived in the house with them. There was a long closet, so not like a walk-in, but like a long closet with the sliding closet doors that um, was on the wall between her room and the bathroom so there was that amount of space wasn't just a direct wall and I remember getting that same feeling in that bathroom that I was being watched it was a creepy feeling and I can tell you I got an image in my head of a woman middle-aged woman with shoulder length kind of straight straw and a straw colored hair looked a little disheveled I, I wouldn't describe her as homeless obviously she's in a home but but maybe a little worse for the wear of a you know a person who's mm-hmm maybe done drugs or been a heavy smoker, I don't know. But an intense feeling of being watched and of being unwelcome in that place. And Mm -hmm. again, not an I'm staring at you going to the bathroom, just get out of my get out of my house. You're not supposed to be here. And I never said anything about it. It was, like I said, it's a feeling that I've had multiple times in multiple places. And I, it's just a feeling I get. So I'm not gonna go around saying this house is haunted, just this is a feeling that I had in this house. So a while later, my friend told me without me prompting her in any way of an experience that she had in that back bedroom. She said she was in that room. I guess this would have been early to mid nineties. She was in that room by herself one evening on her computer playing solitaire and her boyfriend came in and tapped her on the shoulder she turned around and there was no one there. So obviously this was a little freaky for her. So she got up and quickly went into the living room and her boyfriend's brother was on the couch and he saw the look on her face and said, you saw her, didn't you? Uh, (laughs) yeah her so i mean that that confirms my my own experience my own feeling that there was a woman there but i didn't get any description or anything that was the extent of the story that i heard but that was i think one of the first times when i had my own feeling validated by someone else just unprompted talking about an a stronger experience and apparently i think her boyfriend and her brother had both seen a woman in that house Hmm. i think multiple times interesting yeah there's one other specific, there's there's a couple of other specific experiences where I've had in houses that I was not living in. Um, I, I will say that the many places that I've lived in in my life, when I've been involved in choosing whether or not to live there, if I get a creepy feeling, I'm not going to choose to live in a, in a home. So, mm-hmm. so a couple of friends, one of my best friends from college when I was going to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, she and her boyfriend at the time, now her husband, were renting a house in San Luis Obispo. Cool mission-style house. It had this high-beamed ceiling in the living room. And they had a, maybe it was a two-bedroom house, I'm not sure. It was just the two of them who lived there. There was a guest bedroom. And I stayed there a couple of times. And both times I felt really uncomfortable in their guest bedroom. And I kind of wished I didn't mm. have to stay in that guest bedroom. And yes, it was adjacent to a bathroom. And it was in the back of the house, a colder area. And that same feeling of just being watched and feeling unwelcome. The first time or two that I stayed there, I never got an image of anyone, though. It was just this creepy feeling. They had a Y2K party. So the end of 1999, moving into the year 2000. The year year 2000. 2000. (laughs) Um, (laughs) She had a dress-up party, and I made a a fancy purple, like, taffeta outfit with brocade, and we went and had our hair done at her hairdresser, and... She had a catered meal and had friends, lots of friends from out, out of town who came and decorated the living room with tables and balloons and such. And it was it was really fun to have this this special occasion. Since many of us came from out of town, 
a few of us were staying overnight. I think someone was staying in that back bedroom. I ended up sleeping on the couch in the living room. And I've never been a drinker. I don't really enjoy alcohol. I'm boring that way, I guess. That's not boring. It's just... It's just me. Yeah. Um, anyway, her uh, she had, I think, two or three guests. I think there were two two men and a woman, you know, young 20s, who slept on the floor um, with sleeping bags. So between me and there's a fireplace and the, the TV, and they chose to watch The Blair Witch Project before going to bed. <laughs> now... I had seen this movie in the theater and, and had known going into the movie that it was a, you know, a faux documentary. It wasn't real, but it was, it just felt a little creepier watching it in the house with these people. And they had had some beers and as a result, were able to fall asleep pretty quickly after the movie ended. Mm -hmm. And here I am lying awake because I feel like there's something hovering over by that fireplace on the other side of the room and mm. I just can't get past it. So as I'm lying there for some amount of time, not able to sleep because I'm creeped out, I just sent out, not out loud, but in my head, some probing questions into the room and, you know, just wondering who are you and why are you here? And the response that I got, not in words, but in feeling was that this was a protective entity that was protective of my friends who lived there. And my response was, well, so am I. <laughs> I love my friends. I'm not here to do them any harm. I'm obviously protective of them. And then what I got was an image, but I also got a name. I got an image of a young woman. And I want to say in the 1920s or 1930s, I'm not sure how old this house is, even if this house was there at the time, but I, I guess I assumed so. So a young Mission woman. Mission style was popular at the time. So. Okay. Yeah, I'm. I guess I never thought of it before as whether that house had, had been there or not. But what I got was this was a young woman and her name was Lisa or Lucy. She had short, dark hair, bobbed, you know, kind of, I guess, 1920s style. And she had been in a car accident and was waiting for someone. Mm. And I mean, this was the year 2000, so that's a long time to wait. But that was the sense that I got. And I will say that I never felt frightened in that home again. I felt that I was welcomed. But something odd that did happen the following morning when we got up, there were various containers of liquids throughout the house, you know, jugs of water and laundry detergent and such that had spilled in the night that had fallen over and spilled. Hmm. And I, I can't, I can't really see that as a prank that someone would pull. Why would you do that? It just seems so random. Yeah. That's pretty weird. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm, I'm going on at length, but I'll tell one more so one further house, this was further south, again in California, this was in Irvine, and I went to visit an ex-boyfriend at the time, and uh, we were on good terms, so I was visiting. He had, a, I believe, a two-bedroom house in a housing tract in Irvine, and had rented his second bedroom to a roommate who was no longer living there. And I was there one morning, and he had gone to the store or something, so I was there by myself. And I remember walking out of the bedroom into the living room and then looking to the right down the hallway that led to the kitchen and the back bedroom and back bathroom, which I'd used the shower in that back bathroom and had felt that same creepy feeling of mm -hmm. being watched. I hadn't stayed in the back bedroom, but, but had that creepy feeling in the bedroom. So anyway, when I was by myself in this house and I turned and I looked down the hallway, what I saw again in my head, I did not see this with my eyes, I saw a man sitting in a chair, just like a regular straight back wooden type chair, in the kitchen and kind of a little bit bent over and look, either looking at his hands or looking down towards the floor. And it was like he was frozen. It was like a frozen image. Mm -hmm. And in my head, I just went, hi, Fred. Mm. Um, and I, similar to the, to the Lucy or Lisa at my other friend's house, to me, this was Fred or Frank. I'm not sure. But my feeling, this was a gentleman with short brown hair. I mean, it sounds pretty average. I can't describe a build. I mean, he was sitting medium build. I don't know. But my sense was he died of a heart attack and there was no, I didn't feel scared at all. Mm -hmm. It was just a, okay, here's what this is. Um, and I have no confirmation of any sort about whether that was a real thing. Same with my other friend's house. But anyway, this is an experience that I've had multiple times. So I'm going to let Mike tell about some unexplained experiences yeah so despite my um skepticism that i mentioned before i 
have experienced some things that I can't explain. So I have to accept that something's going on that can't quite be defined yet with our technology. But yeah, I again, I don't really think of it in traditional terms of like ghosts are from an afterlife necessarily. Earlier, you mentioned something about uh, like energy being left behind or mm -hmm. something. Maybe there's something to mm -hmm. that. But anyway, almost exclusively, my experiences with this type of event are related to a previous employer of mine. I used to work at the Winchester Mystery House in San Jose, California. For those that haven't heard about it, it's a gigantic mansion, 160 rooms, four stories. It's over 24,000 square feet of house on, uh, I think today, about six acres of land. But she once had 160 plus acres, and it was a big orchard. This was when the city of San Jose was much smaller, and this property wasn't even in the city limits at the time. Her address was San Jose, but it was like two miles outside so of the city or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, unincorporated county land, Santa Clara area. Anyway, Sarah Winchester was a widow, and you can look any of this up on the internet. It's well known. A widow of the um, Winchester rifle manufacturer. And the story goes that she she feared that the deaths of her husband and earlier their infant daughter and several other members of her family were the result of a curse on the family because of selling all these weapons, which then resulted in angry dead people who wanted some form of revenge, and that she then had to build this gigantic mansion to appease them and held nightly seances and all that. And a lot of that is just bunk, <laughs> but it it sells tours. And it, man, that story gets told a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a very interesting story. Mm -hmm. But even just looking at attitudes of the time, Sarah Winchester probably didn't feel any responsibility towards people killed by the guns made by her husband's company. That's just not how people looked at it at the time. You know, today we're much more looking into that about mm -hmm. what responsibility do the manufacturers have of weapons. But back then... You know, it was just a form of capitalism, form of making money. Uh -huh. And then when her husband died, she got a lot of money, $20 million at the time. Wow. Which at a time when a dollar was worth about 100 times what it is today. Anyway, so she, she built this giant mansion over a period of almost 40 years before she died. And now it's a tourist attraction and they sell tours. And I started out in college just looking to make a little extra money doing the tour guide job. Mm -hmm. I did thousands of tours and over the years went up to the management level of operating the place. I wasn't the top guy, but I was running the place on certain days and selling um, the group tours and things like mm -hmm. that. And I would even spend the night. I was a member of the security team that would we would all trade off have different nights of the week that we would be the only person on the property when it was closed. So anyway, I spent cumulatively many years there and experienced some strange things. And most of them are relatively common with other long-term employees there. Mm -hmm. It's very rare for a visitor, a guest, to witness anything unusual, although it does happen. But if you work there a few years, you might have a story or two. The most common one is people will be in the house alone, at least they believe they are, and maybe they're doing some light cleaning or something, and they'll hear their name called, Eesh. and it's specifically their name. I've had this happen. I heard my uh -huh. name called once when I was in a hallway on the first floor, and it- What did you do? I just kind of looked around to see if there was anyone nearby, and there wasn't. The mansion is a gigantic maze. Mm -hmm. At least it's presented that way. The tour switches back and forth and goes up and down and really makes the house confusing. And it is. But if you work there a while and get to know the mansion, it's, you know, you get to know it like your own house. It's just a lot bigger. So I looked around everywhere that I could think where somebody might be close enough to hear 
when they're not yelling Mm -hmm. and didn't find anyone. But the other thing about it is that it doesn't really sound like it's coming from anywhere. You described your things like you just, it was just sort of presented to you, like not visual imagery, but just suddenly, you know, and it's kind of like that. It's Mm -hmm. almost like you're actively witnessing it as if you're hearing it, but it's not like it's coming from outside your are you saying the voices are coming from inside your head <laughs> yeah yeah kind of so that's creepy mm-hmm. that could just be a psychological thing that's common i don't know i've never experienced it and the... i've experienced weird weird stuff so yeah i'm gonna say and the other possibly very rational explanation is that there are a technology throughout the mansion called call tubes mm-hmm. which were what in large mansions what they would use before the advent of intercom systems before electricity they literally used hollow tubes and you'd just call into one of them just Mm -hmm. speak into it usually there was like a funnel at the end that you spoke into but it's going to come out of a certain place right exactly yeah it would it would come out at the other end of the tube wherever Mm -hmm. that may be and the place where i had this happen at least once it might have happened other times i don't remember for sure but It was a place where there are some call tubes. Also, most of those call tubes have, they're thin, like tin metal that Mm -hmm. they're made out of, at least in that mansion. Many of them have rotted away and don't work anymore. Mm -hmm. So the only one I know of in that place where I was that is still intact and works comes from the bedroom where Sarah Winchester died. And Mm -hmm. there was no one up there either. Yeah. And the other thing about this mansion is it's all made of wood. Uh-huh. You can hear people moving around in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially on the upper stories. Mm-hmm. The ground floor is mostly concrete. But if someone, and that's where I was, was mm-hmm. the first floor. But if somebody had been a floor above me, which is where this bedroom was, and then ran away after they uh-huh. called my name, I would have heard them moving sure. through the house. So as far as I can tell, nobody anywhere near me and possibly not anyone in the house at all. Because it was early in the morning. I used to go in and, and do cleaning mm-hmm. before the place opened. And there would be nobody in the house but me. So did that? Did you say that happened just once or did that happen multiple At times? least once. Uh-huh. I don't remember if it happened more than once. Do you remember how, how you felt about it? I mean, it sounds like you did a cursory scientific exploration of where, where is this coming from. But did it bother you or was it just no. curious? Or? No, it didn't bother me. Yeah, it was just. It was just weird. Mm-hmm. It was just something I couldn't explain mm-hmm. that I, I tried to. I tried to look around and and then I just had to accept that maybe maybe I was hallucinating or, you know, it, mm-hmm. th- this is a thing that you hear about when you work mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. So maybe I was making it happen, you know, psychologically. I don't know. So I just kind of mm-hmm. put it off as no big deal. I didn't change my worldview about it. Sure. I mean, it's small. Yeah. But then (laughs) some other things happened. So one of them, which I just cannot deny is something unexplained by science today, is I saw an apparition. This was also when I was a tour guide Mm -hmm. and I was, I had done my last tour of the day. And in leaving, I was passing from the tour portion of the house through the room where the tours are dispatched from Mm -hmm. to get to an exterior door and and go outside. So just through this small room from one door to the next. And Were you alone or were there other people? I was alone. And at that time of day, after the last tour had been dispatched, Mm -hmm. the dispatcher leaves their post and there's nobody in that dispatching room either. Usually, you know, depending on the day, but usually nothing's going on in there. So I was alone and there was no one else in this room that I was aware of, except that as I passed through the room, I happened to see a man standing in the position where the tour dispatcher normally sits behind Mm -hmm. a desk, but he was standing. And I've often said it it was out of my peripheral vision that Mm -hmm. I saw him, but maybe maybe it's something like you describe where it just was an image given to me. Because I saw him very clearly, more mm-hmm. so than usual with mm-hmm. peripheral mm-hmm. brief spottings. So I got a very clear image of him. He was a not super tall, but relatively tall for the time uh-huh. man. So like five foot? 
<laughs> More than five foot, but probably less than six. He was thin. He was wearing light colored, dirty coveralls. And he had a, a dirty bowler hat on his head. Okay. And underneath that, bushy, curly hair. So just to be clear, you're the person dispatching tours, did they wear a uniform? Was there standard clothing that they wore? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, all the employees below management level wear uniforms mm-hmm. there and that was and not at this period bowler hat was... <laughs> no at this at this time it's changed since but the, at this time the uniform was kind of people at the time would tell me i kind of looked like i sold candy okay like a pinstriped okay. like pink and white uh-huh. pinstriped shirt okay and gray huh with the sleeves rolled up no no <laughs> no sleeve garters yeah. either okay a bow tie, mm-hmm. like a maroon bow tie, yeah. and uh, and gray slacks. Okay. For men and for women, they could. I think at the time they had to wear a skirt. That's changed since too. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it would be a gray skirt for women, but otherwise similar. Okay. More like a, a tie type. What's the kind of like Basically a bow? Tie. Oh. Type of a tie okay. rather than a bow tie. Okay. <laughs> they sound the same, but you uh, know what I mean. Uh, the kind that sure. you tie by hand, and then it's just a fluffy. Like a shoestring tie type of oh. thing. Anyway, yeah. like a ribbon okay. that you tie like a shoe. Okay. Anyway, those were the costumes. Okay. This guy looked nothing like that. He looked old timey. Mm-hmm. Like I say, I saw him from the side. And then when I turned to see who was there to get a better look, he was gone. He just vanished. Wow. And yet I had had this very, very clear image mm-hmm. of him. So again, I just sort of thought I was hallucinating, seeing things. Mm-hmm. It was... Maybe I was tired. It was the end of the day. But like, had you ever hallucinated anything, any other place at any point in your life? No, it's not always really. It's fascinating to me that people are like, oh, I was hallucinating. Like, do you hallucinate? Is well, this a it's thing just, for you? you know, a skeptic doesn't want to immediately just mm-hmm. go to, oh, I just saw a ghost. Mm-hmm. So instead, it may be just as much a leap of faith, but it's it seems more realistic. Oh, I just, I'm seeing things. Mm-hmm. My mind is playing tricks on me. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I continued leaving for the day, clocking out, going home. And then a few weeks later, I was shown a photograph, which they have a collection of old photographs of people and the mansion and, mm-hmm. and different parts of the estate from the time that Mrs. Winchester was still alive and building now, there. Is this a photo that's on display or is it tucked into an album somewhere or? It's not on display. Okay. At least it wasn't at the time. Mm-hmm. They have at various times published it. In fact, when I ran social media for the place, I think I published it on the web. Okay. But it's it was lesser known then. Mm-hmm. And it was, as you say, in an album, mm-hmm. they, just like a family photo album, except okay. it was pictures of the history of the estate. From Most of them were from around the turn of the century of 1900. Okay. And... At the time, this photo was not regularly shown to just base level tour guide employees unless they specifically requested to see it or something. But I hadn't even heard of it. And suddenly I was shown this album and I'm looking through the photos and, and I'm a history buff. And I, I, you know, I fell in love with that house as I was working there. And so I was really enjoying looking at these old pictures and I turned the page and there's this guy that I saw. And it, what it is, is it's a photo of the construction crew of the house that mm-hmm. were constantly building the place from around 1900. There's about a dozen people in the photo, both grown men and boys. And the guy on the far right was the guy that I saw. Exactly. Wow. Like uh, identifying someone in a police lineup, uh-huh. like I was absolutely sure this yeah. was the guy. And in the same outfit and hat? Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly the same image. Mm-hmm. You know, if it had been a police lineup, uh-huh. I would have been like, you know, That's slam it. dunk, convict yeah. this guy. Uh-huh. He did it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's how sure yeah. I was. Yeah. And you could say that, you know, I just found someone that kind of looked like what I thought I saw. But the thing is that this guy has been seen by other people over the years mm both before and since me. And I came to find out later that they all identify the same guy every single time. And again, it's a photo of a dozen people. It's Uh not 
just a random thing. He, he's not the most prominent person in the photo. He's, yeah, just, hmm. it's is, always the same guy, though. Is it always been employees who've seen him or has it ever been guests i think only employees have ever seen him and they usually see him in a different circumstance than i did as i mentioned i saw him standing up in the tour dispatching room most people see him in the basement there's two basements in the house they see him in the front basement basement what well the front one's on the tour now one of the tours anyway not at the time though and they would store things down Uh there and sometimes send employees down to get stuff. Yeah, but that's rule number one. Don't go into this. <laughs> anyway, so they usually see him down there. Yep. And specifically in an area they call Steam Alley. Because it's a long hallway of the basement that has several steam radiators mounted hmm. on the ceiling of the basement. Which they're for the floor above. There's open vents for the heat to come up from the basement. So it's a, a, a hallway called Steam Alley. He's usually in that out steam alley pushing a wheelbarrow which they would have had wheelbarrows in the basement because they had coal a big coal furnace and they had a coal chute and they would have had to move the coal over to the furnace and maybe that was one of his jobs if he really worked there i mean he did he's in the photo yeah yeah now i believe you mentioned at one point that you were asked to dress up as him and i was yeah yeah so Towards the end of my time working at Winchester Mystery House, the TV show Mythbusters did a myth about the smell of fear. Okay. That Yeah, the notion that you can actually smell fear oh, on somebody. Uh-huh. Well, they say dogs can. I don't know that I've ever Yeah, some people I, claim yeah. they can, too. I, don't, it's, I think it's all intimidation, yeah. whatever. Uh-huh. So the people that they called the build team of that show, so not the two main guys... Mm-hmm. The two stars of the show were were Adam and Jamie. They didn't come, but the three others did. Carrie, I don't remember their names now. Two guys and a woman came and did an overnight thing in the ballroom of the mansion where they were watching scary movies and otherwise alone in the house Mm -hmm. except for film crew. And they were like wearing silly pads under their clothing, like in their armpits and in their crotch and stuff where, you know, places where you sweat Uh to see if, if you can really smell fear. And they didn't actually end up using the sequence Mm -hmm. in the show, the test that they did, they didn't use in the show. But when the show aired, they did show a brief like outro to commercial where they acknowledged Winchester Mystery House since they did shooting there and mm-hmm. you know kind of gave them a, a little promo and they showed just quickly some of the stuff they shot there without going into it and one of the things they did is they wanted a picture of this a shot of this wheelbarrow ghost as he's often called mm. we would also call him Clyde just to give him a name but we don't know what he was actually named but Clyde's an old-timey name so that's what somebody came up with at some point so they had me you know at the time I was management and i was in a button-up shirt and tie and they had me take off the tie and just white shirt and mm-hmm. and pants and so i didn't look exactly like him i wasn't wearing the hat or the coveralls hmm. but they had me push a wheelbarrow up steam alley at the camera and then kind of they they did a visual effect that like wiped me away oh. so i disappeared okay. it's pretty cool <laughs> it was fun cool. i loved the show Mythbuster, mm-hmm. so it was really neat to be a part of it so, yeah, I am Clyde, <laughs> in a way. Shall we come back to a couple other experiences that you've had there, and I can mm-hmm. talk a little bit about stuff that I've experienced in my own home? Yeah. I mentioned earlier that I am very sensitive, and I have lived in a lot of different houses. When I was a kid, my mom told me at one point that we moved 18 times in eight years, and then she stopped counting. So this is when I was really young. As an adult, the condo where I live right now, it's almost as big as the Winchester house. It's 692 square feet. (laughs) It has one bedroom and a a main living room, kitchen, dining area, and also a very small um, laundry room and a couple of closets. It's 150th the size. That's close. Super close. Anyway, like I said, I, I I can feel what a place feels like when I'm checking it out, and I wouldn't intentionally move into a place that feels funky. So this... This home has never felt any of those being watched feelings or or anything creepy at all. But I have had a number of unexplained experiences in this home since I've lived here. So what I would suggest is that they're not about the place, that they're about the occupant. 
that they're attached to the occupant or related mm. to me and not not anything that's attached to the house. Like it sounds like the stuff at the Winchester house is specific to the building. Yeah, and the so, theory about Clyde is that he he really cared about this place mm-hmm. he was working on and so yeah. he stuck around to take yeah. continue taking care of it. Yeah, and like I mentioned, the, the places where I felt like I was being watched, it really felt like a person had lived there, perhaps had passed away in the house, I'm not sure, but for some reason was still really attached to that place and didn't want anybody else living there or visiting or was protective or whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so an experience that I had here... Uh, I don't know what year it was. I I did know you, so it would have been within the last five or six years, probably. Mm-hmm. I think we met in 2013, and it's 2019. So anyway, one one night I was here by myself, as, as I normally was, and woke up, I think, around 4.30-ish or so in the morning and needed to get up and use the restroom, and I have a small bathroom attached to my bedroom. It's a everyday normal experience to wake up in the middle of the night and need to pee. And I got up and got out of bed and there was a lamp on in my room and it was a lamp that honestly I had forgotten that I had so it wasn't like I left it on when I went to bed it was a light that I hadn't turned on in ages it was a small plastic kind of a nightlight type light that was sold in the kids section in Ikea so it was mounted on the Mm -hmm. wall and it had a cord that came down from it where you had to, it had a basic toggle switch on it. It wasn't one of the twisty ones. It was a toggle switch. Okay. And it was mounted above a bookshelf that I had that was one of these folding wooden bookshelves that are, you know, these cheap bookshelves that you can move around easily. But it doesn't have like a flat top on it or anything. It just has these wooden sides and then these shelves that fold up. And so there were books on each shelf. And I think on top of the top shelf was like some of those old envelopes that had photographs in them. And they'd been sitting there long enough that there was a layer of dust on top of everything. So I have two cats. Like the envelopes you'd get back from the developer? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So stuff that just hadn't been touched in ages had built up dust. I forgot about the light. I never turned it on anymore. It was a blue um, plastic five-pointed star with little holes in it so the light could come through it. And it was on when I got up at 4.30. And I couldn't come up with any explanation for it being on. So the... The nature of that type of shelf, my cats would not have climbed on it. They never did. It wasn't a solid surface on top. Mm -hmm. If they had tried jumping up, which my cat Katrina, she certainly was strong enough to jump up there at the time, but she would have knocked off the envelopes. She would have Mm -hmm. disturbed the dust. And the toggle switch on the wall would have been really difficult for her to reach, even if she had been able to climb up there and balance, which there there was no evidence of her having done as nothing was disturbed. So... I remember turning it off and feeling pretty creeped out about it and um, went to the bathroom, went back to bed. And when I got up in the morning, it was still off. And all I could think was I've heard stories of people being visited, like if they had a relative who passed away and Mm -hmm. there was no one, there was no one in my life. I mean, I certainly checked later that day. There was no one who passed away that I knew of. I have no idea why that light was on. I do remember posting about it on social media and people were like, oh, you turned it on or, oh, you sleepwalked. I've never been known for sleepwalking. And Mm -hmm. like I said, I totally forgot that lamp was there. Like, why would I turn that on? But anyway, uh, fast forward a couple months and a group of friends, including Mike, Mm -hmm. went to a weekend at Bass Lake, which is up near Yosemite. We rented a cabin and several of us stayed overnight, I think two nights in the living room. Uh I slept on the couch. Mike and some others slept on mattresses on the floor in sleeping bags and we all went to bed turned off all the lights i woke up at some point in the middle of the night and a light uh, lamp across the room was on yeah and this was a lamp sitting on a like a little end table and it was your standard table lamp with a you know semi-cylindrical lampshade on it and it had one of those post knobs that you had to twist to turn on and off Mm -hmm. and you would have had to have climbed over our friend marilyn to turn it on she was sound asleep the light was on yeah i was i think almost paralyzed with fear i was so creeped out and i woke mike up and i remember um, do you remember your response i remember you ended up going into the bathroom and i think you took a shower at some point I think you did i you then I th- yeah i thought i, think, I did later in i think the morning. maybe you did you were in there for quite a while i'm not sure if you took a shower right then but i think you said when you came out you got sick or something oh yeah i do remember but yeah i, I felt sick yeah so I don't, I don't know what that was about. But yeah, when we got up in the morning, we asked. Marilyn said absolutely she had not gotten up and turned it on. Another friend of ours who was very skeptical, I mean, as you should be, 
was convinced that somebody had been playing with it the night before and it had just been like almost turned on and then it just got bumped and turned on or something. But anyway. That's not really how those switches work. Yeah. And just the fact that something similar had happened previously in my presence, it, it freaked me out. And to me, it, it was an indication that something was following me. But I have no, I have no sense. I've, I've not had any repeat since then. But a few years later or a year or two later, my father passed away. He had had cancer on and off for about 20 years. And when it came back the fourth time, he, he did finally pass away. My dad had been involved in me purchasing this condo now 14 years ago. He helped me to consolidate my debt. I had had issues with the carpeting in this place. There had been a repeat water leak under my kitchen sink and damage to the floor had occurred. And I was super, super poor as a teacher trying to pay a mortgage, even though it's an affordable place. And I just, I couldn't afford to fix the carpet and it got worse and worse. And I, I know my dad was concerned. So that relates to another story, I just realized. But anyway, not too long after my dad passed away, I was going through my normal morning routine where I get up in the morning, I get out of bed, I go into the kitchen, I put a kettle on the stove, I turn on the stove, and I go take a shower or brush my teeth, etc. in the bathroom. And then I, when it whistles, I come out and turn it off. And I think I was in the middle of brushing my teeth. And it honestly, now I feel like I came out into the living room at some point did not turn off the stove. Maybe I didn't come out into the living room, but I know that I acknowledged that the tea kettle was starting to whistle. I don't think it ever went into full whistle, but it was starting to whistle. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll get it in a minute. It's not going to hurt anything. And then I remember it just stopped making sound. And I came out into the living room and checked it and the knob on the stove had been turned off. Now this is not a push on off knob. This is a twist. Yeah. The circular knob thing. You have to twist it and click it off. It's not a thing that's just going to slip off. So without me coming into the kitchen and turning it off, the tea kettle had been turned off. It was still sitting where it was sitting. It hadn't been moved or anything. And again, I lived here alone with two cats. They're not getting up onto the <laughs> counter and turning off the stove. So I just remember Unlikely. that. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Candy. I just remember at the time assuming it was my dad. My, you know, my dad looking out for me, a single woman living alone that he was afraid I was going to burn my house down or something. And I just said to the house, it's okay, dad, I don't need you to do that. <laughs> uh -huh. That's okay. So a while later, I mean, I assumed it was my dad. I don't know what else would have done that. It certainly wasn't me. It wasn't the cats and there was no one else here. A while later, I was going through financial difficulty. And as a result, I was getting the majority of the mail that I would get from the post office was harassing from creditors. And I got to a point where it was depressing and I just didn't want to check the mail. So more than once, I went a few weeks without checking the mail. And I have you know, in a condo, you have the big mailboxes that are have a panel that are all shared and have keys and the, the, mm -hmm. the postal service opens the big panel and puts the mail in an individual slot and it's not very big. So if you go for a while without checking your mail and you get a bunch of mail, it's going to be overfilled. So once before I had not checked the mail for a few weeks and had finally checked it and there was a no mail in there, there was just a little card from the post office saying you need to come down to the post office and pick up your mail. Basically, mm -hmm. it, it had overfilled. And so at that point, I, you know, was felt really guilty and went down to the post office and collected my mail and et cetera. And so this happened again, where I went quite a while, maybe a month without checking the mail. And I don't remember what it was, but there was something that I needed. There was something that was coming in the mail that I needed. It might have been paperwork of some sort, or it might have been something that I ordered and I needed it for some reason. I finally went to check the mail and, you know, expecting that it had been overfilled and that there would be a note from the post office saying, come get your mail. Instead, there was a green note to the mail carrier saying, this is an empty place, don't leave mail here. So clearly I had let it gone so long that they assumed that the place was empty mm -hmm. and they shouldn't be delivering mail. Well, I sure felt like a jerk. And because I needed whatever it was that was coming in the mail for a semi-urgent reason that I can't recall, I decided to go down to the post office the next day and I would just have to explain to them, hey, I, you know, just have been bad and, you know, slap me on the wrist or make me feel bad or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, which I doubt they would have done. It was just my own sense of despair that I was a bad person and can I please have my mail? Thank you very much. So I drove down to the post office after work, which was difficult. I, I work in San Jose. It's a long drive. It's difficult for me to get to the post office during open hours. And I, I tried one day. There was no parking in front of the post office, which is not super unusual. I drove around the block. I couldn't find any parking. I drove around the block another time. No freaking parking. And I just, I was frustrated and I just said, screw it. And I went home. I came home and on the counter... I have a long granite counter that goes almost to the door and then it extends into my kitchen area. On the end of the counter was a key to the mailbox. So it's not the key to my mailbox, but it's a package key because there's two package lockers that go with my 
right mailbox where there was you, would, a... you would normally find just the key in your mailbox right. the only way to get a and then key you open to the package locker to get the package exactly the only way to get a package locker key is to go to your mailbox open your mailbox there's a package locker key that says either locker five or six those are the two that are by my mailbox and then yeah you put it in there like i said when i checked the mail it had just had this green card in it saying there's nobody here mm-hmm. so don't deliver the mail so there was a key to the package locker number one how did that get there i'll back up a minute in but i took house. it to the package locker and open it and there was all my missing mail my mail was in the package locker so how did that key get into my house yeah i lived alone nobody had a key to my house but me Uh the post office definitely does not have a key to my house no they're not coming in and putting a key to a package locker on my counter yeah how the heck did that key get that's weird yeah so uh, my assumption has been i mean how else obviously this is me coming up with a paranormal ex- explanation, but all I could come up with was somehow my dad was involved. Mm-hmm. There that was. The third thing I, I mentioned, the carpet, and I'll just say quickly that at some point, even later than this, one of my two upstairs neighbors who's above my place accidentally started a small fire and set off the sprinkler system. And my upstairs neighbor has a townhouse, a two-story condo that's above my ground floor condo. And I believe that the sprinklers had gone off on the third floor and it, they went on for so long, it took the fire department a while to come and, and turn off the water. I don't know if they didn't get here immediately or, or it just took them a long time to turn off the water. But the water ran mm-hmm. for so long that it dripped through to my floor. And I had to move out and I had to move in with Mike and his landlady Kay for three weeks while they did repairs. But as a result, I got a new carpet. <laughs> <So> <laughs> it's not a great carpet. It's a very cheap carpet, but it's so much better than that that horrendous carpet that was there. And I just wonder, you know, I'm not blaming my dad for starting this fire, but I just wonder if there was any involvement since my dad was so protective and wanted to help me get this thing fixed. Yeah. But anyway. Weird. So do you want to tell about your other experiences? Yeah. So along with the theme of household destruction, Mm-hmm low grade. So obviously everybody's very protective of the Winchester house. It's a historic landmark, city, state, and federal registered. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's protected from being destroyed for development or being changed in drastic ways, anything that would damage its authenticity. Mm -hmm. So everybody's careful about it and we try hard not to do any damage. We tell the guests not to touch the walls on the tours because... A lot of the wallpaper is very old and mm-hmm. dry and crumbly. Mm-hmm. No open flame. Right. No yeah. open flame allowed in the house <laughs> yeah. for sure yeah. because it's 100% wood. It's redwood that mm-hmm. doesn't like to burn as much as, say, pine. Right. But, but it's, old, right? Yeah. but it's yeah, it's been drying for mm-hmm. 110, 130, right. 150 years, depending on the part of the house. Not that much. But anyway, mm-hmm. over 100 years. So... Yeah, there's parts of the house that were being remodeled when Sarah Winchester died, and so were never finished. And, mm-hmm. and there's crumbly drywall, not drywall, um, plaster. Mm-hmm. And people just aren't allowed to touch things in there for those reasons. You walk on the floor and that's it. So one day, again, this was when I was a tour guide, I was giving my first tour of the day. It might have been the first tour of the day. I don't remember, but it was certainly mine. It was in the morning, probably during the nine o'clock hour, mm-hmm. we got to the part of the house called the Oriental Rooms because they're decorated in Asian motifs, you know, Oriental rugs mm-hmm. and Japanese hand-painted wallpaper and bamboo trim mm-hmm. on the built-in fixtures and things. There's a skylight in the room that the tour stands in and an open room above that to let light into the skylight. And then above that is the fourth floor because the oriental rooms are on the second which is the highest point in the house the fourth floor balcony and the tour goes up there too when in the oriental rooms the tour guide stands in the doorway to the next room which is the south conservatory you know indoor greenhouse type Mm -hmm. area and that part just has a roof and there's nothing above it in that portion Mm -hmm. so standing there giving my spiel there was a a crash of glass And the whole tour heard it, Mm -hmm. in addition to me. How many people, do you think? Probably 10-ish, 15. They would sell up Mm -hmm. to about 30 tickets on a tour, which Mm -hmm. really that's too big of a tour group, but Mm -hmm. that's how many they would... Did people comment on hearing it? Yeah. 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 
but for the first tour of the day, it was a smallish group. Uh-huh. So yeah, they all reacted visually, like turned their heads. And also somebody asked what happened. Mm-hmm. Is everything okay? And I, at this point, already knew the house very well and explained that what it sounded to me like had happened was that a window up on the fourth floor, two stories above us, had blown shut hard. It was a blustery, windy day. And that that had broken the glass in the window and and then the glass had showered down onto the roof of the Mm -hmm. south conservatory right behind where i was standing was this something that had happened before like it yes yeah it had i didn't really know of specific instances at Uh the time but i knew it had happened and the way the fourth floor is set up is there's a lot of glass up there to Mm -hmm. let in light but most of the windows on the fourth floor are permanently shut by the management so that guests can't open them and either fall out or or cause some kind of trouble. But there's one window that does open, mainly for ventilation, because okay. on hot days it'll get very hot up there. But on a day that's windy like this, normally it would be shut. I mean, it's just a simple latch to open it, but sure. typically it would be shut. And I thought maybe it had been opened, maybe by a guest or something. There would have had to be a tour before mine for me to think that, so maybe I wasn't the mm-hmm. first tour. That's what I told them had probably happened. And I was sure enough of it that I told them that when we got to the fourth floor, I'd show them the broken window and the glass down on the rooftop two stories below. But when we did get up there, which is about a half hour later on the tour, the window was securely shut and intact and no glass down on the rooftop. And I simply accepted that I had been wrong in my theory. Uh And maybe I didn't know the house as well as I Uh thought I did. Yeah, the sound had come from some other area. Mm-hmm. And that's what I told the tour and everybody accepted that and we moved on. Tour ended and I went and on. You got a... no tips because you were so bad. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't typically get tips. The management didn't like that. So we weren't allowed to ask for any or imply mm-hmm. that we should get any and only people that know that you're supposed to tip tour guides would yeah. tip us. So I probably went on a break after the tour mm-hmm. and came back to do another tour. So now it's probably at least an hour to an hour and a half later, when we get with this second tour of mine to the fourth floor. This time, the window was unsecured. It was blowing around in the wind. There was jagged glass in the frame, but the glass had broken. And there were shards of glass down on the metal rooftop of the South Conservatory, two stories down. So just like you had said earlier in the day yeah exactly what i said had happened so now of course i told this group of people Uh this tour what had happened earlier with the Uh sound Uh and none of them were having it you know they didn't they weren't the ones that witnessed it so they didn't believe me they thought it was just part of my Uh shtick yeah (laughs) and trying to spook them in Uh some way but i mean it's not really a spooky story it's just unusual so it's this is definitely not a story i would tell to try to freak Mm -hmm. people out if that's what I was doing. So anyway, we just continued that tour as well. And then when I got done, I reported that the window was broken and needed to be fixed. And at least, you know, for the time being uh, secured in a way that guests wouldn't get cut and things like that. Mm -hmm. So as we discussed before, this has happened other times. Previously, I had just been aware of that window breaking because Mm -hmm. it can can get slammed shut and, Mm -hmm. and it can break. But Throughout the years later, what I heard was the same story happening where a tour guide and their tour group were hearing the window break and getting up to the fourth floor and it not being broken. And then an hour or more later, the window being found broken. So So, Winchester House has its own time rules. (laughs) Yeah, it's wishy-washy, (laughs) timey-wimey. And it's a poltergeist. It's simultaneously a poltergeist, which is a ghost that Uh likes to break things. Uh I mean, if you want to call it a ghost. But what else would it be? And it's a time warp. It's the the sounds of the event happen before the physical manifestation. I don't think I've ever... I mean, I've heard you tell the story before. I don't think I've ever heard of situations like this. I haven't heard it otherwise either, except for the same exact circumstance Uh in the same exact place, but reported by other people. And usually it's newer tour guides, not necessarily brand new, but people that I hadn't had a whole lot of dealings with. So I hadn't told them my story. Mm -hmm. It's always possible others had, but Mm -hmm. it's, it seems like an odd one to adopt as your own story and tell it again. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it seems like it 
and and the evidence is there the window does break mm-hmm. repeatedly sure okay yeah so yeah. you know the caretakers of the house have to occasionally replace that window weird yeah it is weird <laughs> <laughs> i can't explain it And now we'll do our bad jokes segment. You score us three points for a laugh, two points for a groan, one point for silent blinking. All right, me first? Yep. Okay. Why do ghosts like to ride in elevators? Why? Because it raises their spirits. (laughs) Okay. Why didn't the skeleton go skydiving? I don't know. Why not? Because he didn't have the guts for it. All right. What happened to the lady who didn't pay her exorcist? I don't know. Her house was repossessed. (laughs) Why did the ghost go to a bar? I don't know. Why? For the booze. (laughs) Why do mummies have no friends? I don't know. Why do they have no friends? They're too wrapped up in themselves. (laughs) Okay, my last one. Last week, a ghost got lost in the fog. He is missed. Oh, all right. Enough of that. So please find us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as Mondays with Mosey. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and tell your friends, tell your enemies, and tell your frenemies. Email us at mondayswithmosey at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your positive feedback, bad, clean jokes, and for this episode, personal tales of ghosts or unexplained events. For now, be brave, watch out for ghosts, and be nice to your poltergeists.